0: This is the last episode for 2022 and what a year it was in psychedelics. But before 2023 starts, we have a great episode for you, which gives you a taste of what's to come at the New Health Club in 2023. Live podcasts and events with an audience. I find this such an energetic experience to have an audience in a room and also provide room again for live Q&A. So this episode right here, was recorded live at Soho House in Berlin. And my guest was Rock Fielding-Mellon. He's from the family of Beckley organizations in the UK. And one of these companies is Beckley Retreats, which Rock co-founded with his mother, Amanda Fielding, who's also the founder and CEO of the Beckley Foundation. Amanda is a great friend and a big inspiration to me. So I'm very proud to have also her son on the podcast. The Beckley Foundation spearheaded much of the most groundbreaking scientific research upon which the new psychedelic renaissance is being built right now. But being the son of the queen of the psychedelic renaissance, like Forbes calls Amanda Fielding, wasn't always easy for Rock, her son. In this episode, Rock talks about his route via business and politics to the realization of how transformational and healing psychedelic-assisted therapy can be and how Europe will play a big part in the current booming psychedelic renaissance. Please enjoy the show. It's our Christmas gift for you because it's a very entertaining episode. Please enjoy Rock and the New Hearts show. And have a great, happy new year. Okay, so welcome everybody. This is um, actually the first time the New Health Club is hosting an event at Soho House. Um, and it's also the first time that we're doing a live podcast and you guys are all in it. Afterwards, of course, we, we can have a couple of questions and time for a couple of questions. So, um so this series, we started this series to really invite people from the current um, exploding psychedelic world, industry, ecosystem, you could say. Maybe you introduce yourself in the beginning and then we start with the questions.
1: Thank you, Anne. Hello, everyone. Um, so yes, as, uh, as Anne says, I'm, I'm really, my, my introduction to anyone is, I'm my mother's son, um, still now at the age of 43. Um, my mother is uh, Amanda Fielding, who um, set up the Beckley Foundation, which, together with um, MAPS and the Hefter Institute in the U.S, um, has really been one of the leading nonprofits in this space for the last 25 years. Um, through the Beckley Foundation, my mother worked with people like Roland Griffiths at Johns Hopkins and David Nutt and uh, Robin Carhart Harris, at Imperial and really initiated much of the very early scientific research um, which the Renaissance in psychedelics is kind of based on. Um, but her story goes a lot further back than that. Her story in psychedelics goes all the way back to the 60s. Um, and uh, if Anne wants, I'm happy to go into a bit more detail there. My, my own personal journey has been more circuitous. Um, and again, if uh, Anne wants to ask those questions, I'm happy to explain that. But right now, I work with my brother as well in the space. So while my mother still heads up the Beckley Foundation, which is the nonprofit side of what we do as a family, um, my brother heads up Beckley SciTech, which is a biotech drug development business, um, taking some of these compounds through the kind of pharmaceutical, regulatory, clinical trial process. Um, While I'm much more focused on everything non-biotech but in the for-profit space so what we call the care delivery infrastructure side of the ecosystem but also importantly the non-medicalized side of the ecosystem so helping so-called healthy normals um, get safe legal access to really well-guided psychedelic experiences through a company called Beckley Retreats
0: yeah, thank you for giving this little introduction. So, I mean, as you mentioned, and I think it's a great idea to start with this, like your your personal journey to this is very interesting because you grew up in a psychedelic household and were like, oh, leave me alone with this. And then you kind of found your way back to it. And I think it's it's always interesting to hear people's personal stories, especially um, like because it, it gives you a different idea of why people or why somebody is actually still like, made their way into this industry. So it would be great to hear your story around this.
1: Yes. So I mean it's it's a semi joke, but I think a joke based on truth that I was conceived on LSD and um and uh growing up both my parents were um I think quite regular users of L S D. But not only that, um supposed to give a bit more background. My 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 mother first took lsd in 1965 um she described it then as like a a trip to god's fairground she thought it was amazing it was kind of beautiful uh interesting fun but she she didn't really get the sense of how it can be more than a, a fun trip to the fairground do you know an amazing trip to the fairground but how how to use that But it was a year later when she actually met and fell in love with um, a kind of amazing Dutch scientist who had developed his own theory of brain blood mechanism and all around consciousness and how to really tap into and use expanded states of consciousness. And it was during her relationship with this uh, Dutchman called Bart Hugues that she learned how to Use psychedelics really as a tool for furthering consciousness, and so while the rest of her contemporaries in the swinging sixties of London were having lots of fun doing all these things, she and a small group, including Bart and my father, who was another kind of disciple of Bart's, um, really, you know, took it upon themselves as a mission to try and get this message of how to leverage and use as a tool for building bridges and helping resolve many of the crises that humanity faces, how to use expanded consciousness and psychedelics in that way. Um, another theory of Barts, uh, which my mother and father both uh, took on, was what is known as trepanation, which is drilling a hole in your head um, to get more blood in the brain and expand consciousness that way. So so I grew up not just with um, parents on on acid, but also standing for Parliament, advocating trepanation for the national health, um, in the kind of 80s and 90s, and I don't want to pretend that there weren't benefits to having uh, a mother who advocated such things, but it was also sometimes quite challenging as a as a young teenager, um, you know, having having a mum with a hole in her head and telling everyone that she's going to save the world by helping people take more acid um and i um i'm i'm my mother's first son and like many uh first-born children i kind of needed to assert myself and you know i needed to rebel but how do you rebel against um society's rebel um my solution was i became a conservative politician after i left university (laughs) so i thought that um you know there was there was a very strong sense of uh public service and duty in my family my mother was very mission driven um I thought that's very important but I'm going to do it the kind of proper way I'm going to go into politics and really help people instead of all this talking about just giving people drugs um and and I did that and I was a politician in London for 12 years and I loved it I um, you know it, I I I thought I was doing an okay job at it and I thought I was helping people and it was very rewarding, rewarding work. Um, five years ago sadly I was a witness to and then in my role as a politician I was caught up in the aftermath of an awful tragedy in London in which a lot of people lost their lives and it was a kind of earthquake in in my own life, nothing compared to the horror and trauma that it was for many others, but it still had its ramifications for me and my family. And it was the kind of end of my political career. And um and I was left in a pretty um dark place. Um I'd lost any sense of hope. Actually Anne, I was listening to your podcast with um, with Jamie Wheal. Um, and I liked, he, he spoke about kind of pr- three stages of life, I think, kind of pre-tragic, tragic, and post-tragic. And it, it, it rang bells me because I think up until that tragedy, I had had a pretty pre-tragic life. And I was then in a very, I, I stayed in that tragic sphere um, for, for quite a few years. And I, I was, doing all the therapy that one does had counselors i was reading lots trying to figure out what to do but i just was in a nihilistic dark place where it didn't really feel um, that it was worthwhile trying to do anything because what everyone tries to is likely to end in horror um and anyway this was maybe two or three years ago the psychedelic renaissance was was get picking up steam it was Everyone was talking about it. My mother was becoming more and more um, fated around the world. But I was still like reluctant to give any credence to that. But I was quite desperate. And long story short is, without going through my mother's contacts, I managed to figure out um, how to go and do psychedelic-assisted therapy. And one session really changed my life and I it did I, I tasted optimism again it was a visceral in my body I suddenly felt the possibility the post-tragic life opened up before me and um of course that was a trauma in itself because I had to admit to my mother that she had been right all along um which no son likes to have to do um but uh following on from that I realized that I suppose I have a new mission. I have a new lease of life and I'm a little bit like a, a reborn Christian. I'm, I'm more proselytizing now than um, those who um, didn't turn their back on it. Um, and so I'm delighted. That's why I suppose my area of focus in what I'm, how I'm supporting my mother's work and her mission is very much on how to try and provide more people with safe, legal and affordable access to psychedelic assisted therapy Um, And not just in the medicalized, but non-medicalized space as well.
0: So, um, yeah, and one could say you're kind of the royal family of psychedelics in England. You could say it. I mean, (laughs) I can say it. (laughs) So, but I mean, um, coming back to your experience, so it, it kind of leads the way to this, let's say, new idea around trauma that we have to develop, that it's not like your classic idea, like you have a car accident by yourself or you're like in your childhood, something bad happens to you. So, um, and I feel like these ideas around how trauma is created in these days uh, leads the way to uh, like new ways or new kinds of retreats. Like you say that are not necessarily need a medical reason, like a psychiatry reason to look into a psychedelic experience. So, and um so the retreats that you are basically like you're the head of retreats you could say that you currently do in Amsterdam and Jamaica as far as i know um maybe because the, the question we the, the biggest question we always get or the most frequent question is how does this actually look like will i get like am i going to be to am i going to be high for 5 days um what is happening to my brain afterwards? So I think most people have no, have not really heard of how this will actually look like, and I'd love you to elaborate on how one is actually what you can expect if you sign up for this.
1: Sure. Um. I suppose to caveat all of this, I want to be very clear that I am, I have, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a facilitator of psychedelic retreats. I am at best a participant and I'm my mother's son that's that's as that's as credentialed as I get um so I'm not I'm not really fit to talk about trauma trauma is very very serious and um there are a lot of clinical trials going on with people trained in how to um help people suffering from PTSD either with or without psychedelics um and you know That's what companies like Beckley SciTech are set up to do. And that is going down the medicalized path. And, you know, my mother and Rick Doblin have for a long time thought that the medicalized use of psychedelics can help an awful lot of people and is also a good tactic, given the current legal framework of, you know, getting some access legally legally to these compounds, to people who need them. Um, but as I say, I, we think there's also an important non medicalized part um, of the ecosystem, which is for people who aren't necessarily suffering from clinically diagnosed trauma or depression or other things. We all have our own wounds. We all have our own uh, problems and emotional challenges that we have to deal with. And I suppose that's where Beckley Retreats comes in, um, there are some jurisdictions where it's currently legal. Um, Jamaica and the Netherlands are two of them. Um, and again, we've gone to great lengths to make sure that wherever we operate, we are doing so lawfully. Um, and we've, you know, we've got detailed legal counsel in both the Netherlands and Jamaica and the US. That because Beckley treats the US-based company, um, that it's all lawful, so we can have all the insurances in place and all of that side of things. Um, and I am one of the co-founders of Beckley Retreats, but I don't actually run it. That is a colleague of mine called Neil Markey, who was a, a, a veteran in the of the US Special Forces, and then worked at McKinsey and had his own drama and, and came to this work on his own. Um, but again, what we want to do at Beckley Retreats is create the best set and setting for people who aren't coming with a medical clinical diagnosis, but who want to use these powerful compounds to help them do the inner work um, that can help them transform their lives uh, to get, you know, a deeper sense of meaning, greater connection to themselves, to nature, to their community. That's that's really what it's about at Beckley Retreats. Um, And so what you can expect is... We have, again, thanks to the the network that the Beckley Foundation has, um, we've drawn on a lot of that scientific research, both in terms of Western psychology and neuroscience, but also learning from the best of the kind of indigenous uh, wisdom traditions and lineages. And so it's trying to be a bridge between both the kind of modern and the ancient, the Western and the indigenous, and the scientific and the ceremonial. And so if you sign up to a Beckley retreat, there is a a four-week preparation program, which is done virtually, um, where you are kind of guided through how to prepare yourself for this five-day retreat in Jamaica or in the Netherlands. As you get there, you will have uh, the first day is uh, meeting everyone, uh, introducing sharing circle setting your intentions which is very important meeting the facilitators we make sure that there's a ratio of uh, only three participants for each facilitator so in a typical retreat there'd maybe be between 15 and 20 participants and five to six facilitators the facilitators between them will have uh, trainings in western psychology or psychotherapy but also trainings in shamanic uh, indigenous lineages and also be um, yoga teachers, meditation teachers, and that side of things. So each day we start with meditation and yoga. Um, on day two, which is the first ceremony day, you then have a breathwork session um, before lunch. You have a light lunch. And then after lunch during the day, one has the first psilocybin ceremony, which typically lasts about six hours. And the ceremonies are very carefully guided by the facilitators who are there to kind of hold space. um, On the whole, everyone has their own mattress, um, typically wear a blindfold, you're encouraged to kind of go inwards and do that inner work. And the guides Play live music, which is very beautiful, what they call medicine music. And the, me- the music really does act as a medicine. It really does help take you on these inner journeys of self discovery and, and healing. So um, at the end of that, everyone's quite tired, have a light dinner, and then go to bed. And day three is um, an integration day, where again, everyone sits the next day and talks about their experiences as much as they want to and are able to and there are other kind of therapeutic modalities such as art therapy sometimes or other processes that help people integrate but it's also giving people a lot of space on that third day and then day four is a repeat of day two so you do it all over again and day five is the final integration circle and people go and then importantly um, we have a six-week integration program afterwards which is a combination of weekly group zoom calls with the lead facilitator Um, they also give you daily practices um, normally some meditation and breath work and there are weekly um kind of videos and information on how to integrate which is where a lot of the kind of research from neuroscience and psychology come in in terms of helping you to reset and integrate what you've learned on those two ceremonies into your everyday life
0: yeah, I think that's a that's a um, it's it's great to have a very detailed insight in this because I mean I think most people I don't know about you guys but most people are wanting exactly knowing want to exactly know like how how this is going to look like also in the future as a very normal maybe tool for our times to do this even like twice a year I mean some people in like say therapists in a psychedelic field actually would actually even say right now that twi- doing this twice a year will almost like maybe prevent you from depression i mean that's kind of an a theory that's out there right now so um but do you feel that this will become something like a regular i don't know engagement for the modern society like going on a holiday for for two days without sounding too recreational, but actually to just gather your thoughts or like your your visions? Personally, I
1: don't think, I, I hope it doesn't become that. Um, we, we took a, like, we don't think this is a light hearted bit of fun. Um, and we actually made a kind of conscious decision to time our retreats. So they are Monday to Friday, we were wondering, like, you know, it's, it's a lot people, typical, typical participants are very busy people in their midlife with lots of responsibilities, careers, families, other things. And from a business point of view, we thought, gosh, should we try doing it over a long weekend, help people squeeze in this, you know, from a Thursday to a Monday. And we decided, no, we're going to do it Monday to Friday, because actually, we don't want people to look at this as a kind of long weekend, a kind of squeeze it in. We want people who are coming to do this really committed to their own process of inner work. Um, so, look, I I can only... And I want to be, again, clear that Beckley Retreats is not saying that we can treat anyone for their depression um there are lots of other clinical trials going on i don't know what the results of those are going to be this is not for you to come and when we we don't think we can cure you of your depression if that's what you're looking for um we think we can help you on a journey of transformation and doing the difficult inner work um to help you grow and transform in the direction that you feel you need to um That is something which maybe some people can do that after one retreat. Um, I was just talking to a friend who's done a series of these, and he said that he thinks he's kind of come through and landed in a place where he's he doesn't have plans to do any more in the in the imminent future. He might again one day, but right now he feels he's he's learned a lot. He's landed somewhere and that's good and i i think to me that feels the right way of approaching these these sorts of experiences they're they're hard they're challenging they're very rewarding hopefully most of the time um but we definitely don't think it's necessarily something that people should be doing twice a year
0: so maybe you should also say we're talking about um truffles here right like magic truffles magic mushrooms like
1: Yeah, sorry. In in the Netherlands, it is psilocybin truffles, um, which are legal. In Jamaica, it is psilocybin mushrooms.
0: So, I mean, I find it interesting why people are coming to these retreats. So let's say people approach us, for example, after listening to podcasts, like ranging from, oh, my friends, uh, my friend is turning 50 and our friends all want to go to do this. And then we just had this and then right before they go, they get into a huge fight. So (laughs) they don't come. And uh, so meaning the trip mostly starts before you even, if you make the decision, the trip basically starts, which I find interesting. But also like something that is becoming more interesting is something like psychedelic parenting that a lot of, um, let's say, younger generation who have children much earlier now is has started to look into microdosing in, in the pandemic and kind of started to look now into... I know ayahuasca, also truffle experiences, because they say, well, they could even connect better to their children or their husbands and wives. So that was something we've seen. And um, another thing that's becoming very interesting is kind of epigenetic questions that people are dealing with. And sorry, I had recently a friend of mine who I see at Pilates, and she's a Persian woman, and she said she wants to go on a trip with her two sisters because they're just losing their minds right now what's happening in Iran. So what is your experience with um, why people are actually signing up for this?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And um, we've actually done quite a lot of kind of customer research and insights into this. And again, there are there are as many reasons as there are people, but the common themes that keep on popping up from the people who come to our retreats are normally people who are high achievers, who have kind of done everything that society told us we should do to have a fulfilled, happy, great, perfect, untragic life. Um, and even the ones who haven't been struck by tragedy, lots of them have just a, a slight sense that something's missing that there's a there's a there's maybe a higher purpose there's a disconnection from uh, a kind of their their sense of true self or their family so lots of people actually come on their own i'd say most people most of our participants so far have been people who've come by themselves but we have also had people come either as part of a couple um or indeed as a a a father son, or in my case, mother son, um, and again, it's it's anecdotal. But um, I was on a retreat in Jamaica in in May, where there was a father and son who had had a, a very challenging relationship for various reasons. They clearly, you know, they were there and they wanted to make it better, but there had been difficult. And I was in tears on the final day listening to them talking about how it's changed their relationship. It, it's beautiful and that's happened with couples as well so do you know i think it can be very powerful for that sense of connection to each other not just the sense of connection to one's own inner parts but that sense of connection to each other um and and yeah and i think really the search for kind of sense of belonging and meaning that's what if i was trying to distill the thousands of answers that we've had to that question, those those come up very, very high. And of course, Americans often are looking for um, how to optimize themselves.
0: <laughs> Some You guys should listen to the Jamie Will podcast. He explains very much, a lot about this, why Americans love this so much. But I mean, um, it's interesting you say that because I recently had an experience where I also had a couple of, let's say, friendship breakups after this, because suddenly you feel like a certain attachment to some people just doesn't work anymore. So how, how, is your, how would you say like your relation to other, like to your family, to in, in general, to people you work with, what's the main thing you would say has changed since you, since you started to look into psychedelic therapy?
1: yes i'd be interested Are the people who've had difficulties people who've been on a psychedelic retreat together or people who have really okay that we we haven't we maybe that's they've gone to the wrong retreat um, <laughs> um what what i think we you know what i think does happen and one of the reasons that we've focused so heavily on having this six-week integration program afterwards what we heard when we were initially setting up the company and doing a lot of this research and we were talking to people who've been to other um, retreats and programs was the difficulty of having these very powerful transformational experiences and then suddenly being plonked back into your normal life you, you know you've been whether it's in Jamaica or other people who do it it's in the jungle in Peru or Brazil you see what you see you feel what you feel, and then suddenly you're back in your flat in in the Docklands in London, or in uh, the Lower West of Manhattan, or wherever you are, and and you're back in the office, and you try talking about your connection to the divine or your this, and um, everyone in the office is like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> what are you on, um, or what were you on, um, and I think that, that is difficult. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why, again, we're trying to, and we've got more work to do on this, but trying to even beyond that six-week integration program is really foster a kind of ongoing community. And the, the connection, the bonds that people make on retreat, even with people we've had, we've had lots of Americans and, you know, America, as we all know, is very politically divisive and divided at the moment. Um... And we've had people from opposite ends of those political spectrums turn up and at the beginning think, oh my gosh, how can we deal with someone from... And at the end, they've been hugging and they've stayed in touch. And I mean, it is amazing the bridge building that can happen through these kind of deep connections and processes. Um, so I, you know, I looked at it as a way of making new great connections with people that you wouldn't normally meet who are very different from you and expanding that sense of understanding and and openness and we want to try and help that and foster that and nurture it in the long term. Um, In terms of the people who I think it can be difficult coming back and feeling in a different place to many of those friends and colleagues that haven't had that experience and are feel maybe a little bit kind of put out or out of joint when you try explaining it, it i i guess it i remember because i i grew up surrounded by people coming and telling me about these visions and i found it quite annoying which i went into <laughs> into the path i went in so I, I totally get how and i try very hard not to wang on too much about my uh my connection to the divine
0: <laughs> yeah i think instagram is full of these um reports what's happening to people um, but maybe we should also talk a little bit also about this. You could say industry that's just growing around this because we've seen a lot of really big investments from investors in the last years. It's now and, and in American media, I feel it's like every week there's a, another big article in, in Forbes and, um, New York Times about Ketamine how normal it is to do and and what's happening, what what it does to people. So, I mean, you kind of, for Europe, you're kind of a, kind of a very big organization plus the foundation, two companies, probably more than that after a while. So how would you describe the development right now? Like in in this kind of very fast growing industry.
1: Uh, It's a really good question. And, um as I said, my, th- my mother has... This has been a completely, you know, n- non-profit mission for my mother for 50 years. Um, and actually, when it became apparent, what, about six years ago, I think, that, that there were the beginnings of a, a for-profit ecosystem emerging, my mother was very ambivalent about, about it. She... Um, she was quite torn. And we, as a family, spent a lot of time thinking about what is the right way of um, approaching it. Um, and, you know, that, that I think she was having... She's not, unlike Rick, who is a fantastic fundraiser, my mother has always found it quite difficult um, going and asking people for charitable donations. It doesn't come easily to her. And so she's always been very aware of how difficult it is for philanthropy to do what's needed to get the scientific research done. So part of her, when she realised that there was this kind of oncoming flood of you know, private capital, thought that that is necessary because philanthropy just isn't going to be sufficient on its own because it's so difficult to get the money needed. Um, but she was also very aware, and I think nervous that, you know, when there are these new, inverted commas, gold rushes, it, you know they attract not just the most scrupulous mission-driven investors, but also people looking for a fast buck. And there's a real risk that if people cut corners and don't treat these compounds with the reverence with which they deserve, people can get hurt. Um, and you know that would be an awful like travesty and for people like my mother and rick and their older friends like Anne and sasha who've sadly passed away and the, the Shulgans and albert hoffman and people like that you know who who saw this that kind of the hope pre-70s and then had that dashed with the war on drugs from the 70s onwards now it's kind of, again, happening. So there's a real fear that if the wrong actors get involved and cut corners and do things shoddily and people get hurt, it goes right back again to, to the kind of prohibition era. Um, so we were definitely nervous. In the end, I think my mother took the kind of braver, more responsible decision, given her place and position, which was that this is happening. You know, the the for-profit movement into psychedelics is happening. It's going to happen. And actually, people like her, who, and indeed Rick, and MAPS now has its for-profit PBC, Public Benefit Corporation, people who really do care, do have the knowledge, do have the network, need to help shape this for-profit ecosystem while it's still in its embryonic early days. Um, And that means working with other mission-driven entrepreneurs, investors, executives who really care. Who, And so when my brother and I got involved, you know, our view is we need to try and harness the best bits of capitalism to help expand safe and legal access to these very powerful um, compounds for the benefit that they can do, but be very mindful of the Potential dangers and challenges, and um, I think really treat them with the reverence that's what we always come back to it's like revering the power of these compounds and the lineages that have brought them to us today
0: it's interesting you bring up the this um, let's say the good capitalism so and so I mean there are a couple of retreats already around let's say entrepreneurs and how they are founders and uh, VCs, how they can become better people, <laughs> better capitalists after a psychedelic experience or like being kind of responsible, more responsible, more consciousness about their impact investments. So, and this is something that's becoming very popular now in the space, um, especially these kind of retreats. So, um do you think this is there's a real chance that there's something coming out of this like a a nice capitalism?
1: I, I mean, I want to be clear that I personally never have been and I'm not an anti-capitalist. I don't think capitalism is necessarily bad and evil and nasty and I don't think all people who um are successful and are good investors or good entrepreneurs are are bad, nasty people. Um, so I, I kind of slightly don't go along with the starting point there. But I think it's, you know, I, I do think there are clear dangers. I think capitalism there are, there are pressures and um, incentives to, to, you know, which some people um, might be tempted to cut corners on. And that's where we need to guard against. And I think we also need to be very mindful of how to share the benefits that come from this? So, in all the companies that we work on, where you know, whether you call it benefit sharing or reciprocity, that's something which we think about very carefully from the get go. So, for example, with Beckley Retreats, again, to do these really well and legally, unfortunately, it is expensive. Like the the, the basic retreat package is is expensive, and it means it is out of. Uh, reach for for many people so we you know that's that's a struggle for us but what we decided is we're going to have a scholarship program so people who come from diverse backgrounds or low-income backgrounds can apply and we're going to have scholarship places at every retreat we do and we actually think that contributes to the group dynamics and the power of the community on the retreats itself we are also i can't mention the company but we are we're working We're in negotiations to work closely with a non-profit in the US that um, works closely with the indigenous communities and make sure that those communities share in the benefit and importantly are kind of protected and respected and are given the acknowledgement and kind of payback for all of their work. And we also work closely with the local communities. So in Jamaica, we are working with both uh, research institutions there and with the local community to make sure that we give back to the local communities there.
0: So, um, first of all, I just wanted to say that Amanda was also very important for me to get into this uh, thing. And if you have the chance to watch her talk, I think at the recent ICPR conference, which should be online very soon, it's a very powerful um, lady. And um, like I said, I think she was kind of responsible for me to... To look into psychedelics because I saw her very interesting energy and her her life work has inspired me also very much so um since we're here and we have the great chance now to have uh, Rock here as the representative of the Berkeley Foundation, I think we're open now for questions, and since we have one microphone, it would be great if you could come here and um because otherwise we would like to give it to you. In the audience, but I mean, um yeah, if anybody has a question or shout, or shout yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it would be great to have the questions on, on the podcast also. So if, we could repeat sorry. We could repeat. Yeah, or that, yeah, as, as you like, if somebody feels, or I can come to you also, <laughs> if somebody raises their hands. Um, yeah, and um happy to take questions now from you guys. Okay, that's easy. Can I just? talk hi (laughs) okay so thank you very much for everything what you said right now um what how does this integration work look exactly in the six weeks um with your retreat for example
1: so um again i caveat this by saying that i'm not the experts that have um designed it or developed it so i'm going to tell you having been a participant on two of these retreats and done the integration work um. So, but it is virtual because participants come from all over the world. It's done virtually, and as I said, it starts every week with a a group Zoom call with the lead facilitator from the retreat, um, and all the participants. The normally we send out uh, the night before a, a kind of uh, reading material and a video explaining that week's kind of process and it is very much based on kind of the best psychology psychology and neuroscience and how to um again i'm 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 worried that i'm not going to do it justice um and i'm gonna use um language that people in the audience who are real psychotherapists psychiatrists are gonna um realize my 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 ignorance But there's a lot of work on the kind of inner parts. So there's a combination of IFS, there's some somatic experiencing, there's all sorts of different parts of psychology that have been used and adapted into the integration process. Um, But there's that weekly kind of video and reading, a weekly Zoom meeting, and then every day um, there is a daily practice that's sent. So normally a kind of manifestation meditation and some breath work, which are about 15 minutes each. And then there's also an ongoing group chat where we can all kind of, so if anyone's having a, having a particular challenge, you can get direct in touch with the facilitator and arrange a one to one as well. And that happens over six weeks. And the kind of the program takes you through um, different phases of how to help you integrate the experiences and gives you that support and ongoing kind of group contact and network
0: which is actually actually very well designed i have to say because i feel like a lot of retreats don't really look into this afterwards and um yeah any more questions thank you um thank you again for this uh, interesting very interesting talk um, i was
1: wondering if you could share more about what's happening during a psilocybin uh, session what's the facilitator's are doing. I'm really curious about that. If you could share, that would be nice. Thanks. Sure. So um, we do it during the day. Um, as I said, it normally starts around 2 p.m. Um, typically starts, so everyone's lying down on their own mattresses with the blindfold on. Um, and the first probably 45 minutes is still and quiet and everyone just getting into their own well inside really and after about 45 minutes the the facilitators start the live music so they have instruments and they sing um and there's normally at least two or three doing the music and then the other two or three are kind of walking around the space and really they they sense if there are people having going through a kind of difficult emotional times. someone's crying or someone's they can feel they look uncomfortable they're very very careful they will always ask if you know you need help if you are happy for them to like touch you it's very very careful in that process but they are there to make sure that they'll just sit and can kind of help re- re- reassure you that you're safe that you're being held it's normally encouraging you to kind of trust the process and let go often the kind of dif- difficulty people have is when they're kind of resisting um and just knowing that there are these very well trained and experienced guides there sitting with you reassuring you that you're going to be okay that's that's normally um what happens
0: you had a question? Thank you. Um, I'm part of an integration group that is all about nature connectedness and connection to other people. And I've seen some other integration groups that are about, I don't know, creating a better world or facing death or there's various themes. So I'm just curious if the integration at Beckley is, it has a certain theme, has a certain purpose, or is
1: is it about you know your personal inner healing, how it goes? We call it the kind of rewiring resetting process so it's really trying to help each individual to kind of i suppose enunciate and come to terms with and build into their life the kind of lessons and kind of insights that they've had so understand and then put into practice try and form those new habits um and that's why the daily practices are so important um, i th- you know Nate, we have been talking to ros watts who you might know and i, I love her asa program um, we think that's lovely, you know so i think there will be room for lots of ongoing collaboration that's a year long program we'd love to collaborate with her on that um, i think there's so much more that can be done but this is a, as a signature program we've tried to keep it kind of very kind of research based and really, as agnostic as possible, in terms of letting each individual whatever they've, whatever insights and kind of journeys they 've begun, we help them to kind of build habits around that
0: two more questions, like one you had one too
1: Hello, um, I have a question because I went a lot of times to India, to Pune and Osho uh, temple, and there 's a huge amount of people for me it 's interesting to know. The size of the group, because 20 people is not a lot and you need to pay maybe 3,000 bucks for it to be at a retreat center in Jamaica. But I guess if it's possible to do it for 500 people, because we take asset in Berlin with 60 people in the forest and it works also. But um, you said it's 20 people. And for me, it's interesting to know maybe it's maybe to scale up to 200 people or 500 people to lower the cost, to do a more efficiency and maybe to have a huge, um, yeah, impact for the people and more access to them. So, um, it's it's a, it's a good question. We we've wanted to make sure we our focus has been very much on safety, credibility, and as I say, making sure it's it's legal and very contained. That's we're wanting to make this a kind of. Look, as I said, my my mother has done more psychedelics than most people, and when she came, she had she was blown away the first time she came. And so it's very good for very experienced people. But we wanted to make it a really safe, trusted place for people who are complete novices to psychedelics as well. And so for us, we think that the 15 to 20 is a is a large enough group to get the benefits of that group work that sense of community that can kind of act as a buffer and a and a shield for people going through this but n- at the same time small enough that you really do get to connect with everyone there and again yeah, I haven't been to there are other retreats I know in in countries like Costa Rica which do much larger groups I haven't been on one personally but are founding lead facilitator used to work there and her advice was it was it was too it's 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 hard to keep as close an eye on everyone and if your focus is safety first the 15 to 20 is the right number and so that's where we landed
0: thank you there's one more from from you um i'm wondering like what is underlying um like what which connection you have underneath the program is it more a shaman like from a shamanic traditional um point of view
1: or yeah lineage or is it more a scientific
0: and psychological approach
1: um yeah great question we both is the answer the short answer and again this was something we thought about quite carefully and we think, again, from a from a kind of rather grandiose point of view, one of the things that we hope psychedelics can um, achieve is to bridge many of the divides that our modern world seems so beset by, and so rather than kind of focusing on, should it be you know the the indigenous lineages or the more western psychological scientific approach we think it's how how to how to how to get the best of both and how actually what what where do they complement each other um, Lucine pearson who is the the founding lead facilitator that i mentioned just now she i was in conversation with her the other day and um going back to your point on epigenetics she was she was making the point that you know, modern science, a lot of the research that has done at Imperial and Johns Hopkins and Kings and others, really what it's doing, and my, my, I think this was one of my mother's great insights early on, is it's affirming what Lucene calls folk research, has known for thousands of years. So it's not necessarily making breakthroughs, what it is, is proving in the kind of Western mindset what many indigenous lineages have known for a long time. So they've got the saying of, you know, we, we're healing seven generations back and seven generations forward. And really that's what we're now beginning to call epigenetics and understanding the impact that can have and how going back and trying to do the healing now based on ancestral trauma or whatever is, is beneficial to us, maybe our ancestors, but definitely to our descendants as well. So, you know, I, I think again most of our participants are going to come from a western background so to avoid and ignore western psychology and neuroscience which fits in and helps understand and helps like in reforming new habits and patterns and why that's important we, d- we just think there's a lot of complementary overlap and where it's not overlap it can they they both have value and and Add rather than subtract.
0: I have one. Everybody else? Anybody else in the room? Oh, okay. The question's getting more and more. It's interesting, right? Okay, first of all, thank you for the for the great talk. It's very interesting. Um, you said that you concentrate more or less on a specific group of people that do not have mental health disorders, obvious ones. How do you actually... Evaluate them, you know, is there a process that you, you cannot be 100% sure, about, but what are you doing to to avoid to have people that are psychotic, for instance? That's a good question.
1: It is. Um, so I think what we try and do from the outset is make sure that all of our um, material, marketing material, makes that point very clear. Um, and I think any of us, whenever we go into a podcast or we always reiterate this point um we do also though when people apply we have uh, an intake questionnaire which asks many questions about people's medical um and psychiatric history um we are careful though we you know we're we're in that process what we're trying to do is uh evaluate people from the kind of point of view of the group dynamic We're we're not giving medical advice to people. So if one of the question, one of the answers raises a kind of yellow flag, we will then suggest to that person they go and seek their own medical advice. But they won't be allowed to come onto a a retreat um, unless they can then show us uh, a letter from their doctor that it's fine.
0: You you had a question, and you too afterwards. I have a question regarding the facilitators so um what is the set of skills uh like is there a methodology that the facilitators use like it cannot be simply the psychedelic experience they bring into the workshop it's probably more than that and i was wondering if there is a specific pattern that is common it's a path that all the facilitators have like how do they because it's not it's a different group every time it's um different different uh, people with different backgrounds and like how, how does it work when it comes to the techniques that they use?
1: It's an excellent question. And um, it's one which I'm glad to say it's not me who's in charge of recruiting um, and vetting and then putting the facilitators together because it's definitely not something which I feel qualified to do. But within the kind of leadership team at Beckley Retreats, we do have people who are specializing in that. What we do make sure is that every team of facilitators has facilitators who are both trained in Western psychology and in shamanic kind of indigenous lineages. Um, and then there will be, as I say, yoga teachers, meditation teacher and musicians within the the team. Um, sometimes, as in the case of Lucine, who I mentioned, uh, there are individuals who combine both uh, a, a Western psychological training and qualifications and uh, shamanic training. Um, and in other teams, are, those, those are in different individuals. But we always try and make sure that both are covered. But again, it's worth noting that even when there's a licensed psychotherapist on the team when they're in Jamaica or in the Netherlands working for us, they are not working as a licensed psychotherapist. They're working as a as a retreat facilitator. Um, and we always make that clear. So they have the training and the background, but they are not there working as a licensed psychotherapist. Thank you. Uh, to what extent to, do you personalize the treatment for uh, for each participant? So, for example, finding the right dosage. And do you also collect biomarkers, like before the treatment, during or after? Yes, so dosage is, is personalized. Every participant will speak to uh, the facilitators um, and based on those conversations. And again, and it's also important, right, that people can choose not to do the psilocybin. It's it's very optional even when you get that, you know, so, and and the amount. So that's, that's a one-to-one consultation between each participant and the facilitator team. Um, in terms of biomarkers... We don't now. That is something which is an ongoing discussion within the company. There are different views about whether that's something which we want to get involved in or not. Um, so it's, it's an open question at the moment.
0: So I have one question also um, for you. It's because you keep reading about these, this expression that the truffles or the mushrooms or the psilocybin truffles, mushrooms, are a teacher. So it's kind of this mysterious expression around this. What, what, In your perception, what does it mean?
1: Gosh, um, I try as hard as possible not to sound too um, woo-woo. Um, and I think it's going to be hard to, to answer that question without sounding very woo. Um, look, from my own personal experience, um, yes, I, I would say I, I have learned a lot from from the process. I learned a lot about myself. Um not all of it very pleasant, um, but all of it important. And um so yes, I think uh I think it would be fair to call the mushrooms teachers, whether it's the mushrooms teaching, or whether it's the mushrooms unlocking our own ability to learn from and teach ourselves. Um I don't know. But I for one have definitely learned a lot.
0: Okay, last question. Anybody? Okay, there's a gentleman. Yes, uh, last question. I'm just wondering, um, let's assume you would have endless money. What would this change on your strategic direction?
1: We'd have 100% scholarship places. Perfect.
0: Thank you so much, guys. It was a great talk. And I really like that you asked so many questions because think the questions you have um a lot of people are having so it's great to have that on a podcast for the first time and um i actually expected crazier questions but it was quite normal <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you so much for coming to berlin, always come to berlin for questions. okay good you can come another time so, um, we're happy to have you here thank you so much enjoy the evening at the soul house and um, i see you hopefully very soon here We hope you enjoyed this episode of the New Health Club show and please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or if you would like to sign up for our newsletter, please go to www.thenewhealthclub.de and subscribe to the newsletter. Again, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse, of course, there's also a New Health Club now. Or even better, sign up to our newsletter on thenewhealthclub.de I talk to you very soon.